Well, this weekend, we are wrapping up a series that we've been in over the past three weeks uh, that we're calling All In, in which we've been asking the question, what does it really mean to be all in for the mission of God as a church? And the reason why we ask that question is because we believe that being a part of a church is different from any other kind of social group or community. It's different from being a part of a gym. It's different from being a part of a country club or any other social uh, organization because when we're a part of the church, we're part of a family. We're part of the family of God. We're members of the body of Christ, which means that if our mission is going to go forward, if his mission ultimately is going to go forward, then it takes all of us using all the gifts that God has given us. It is a call to be all in. And so as we come to the end of this series, we look once more at what that even means for our lives. I think it's only right that we allow God to prepare our hearts and our minds to receive the message that he has for us. So would you please bow your heads and pray together with me. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks that you have indeed gathered us together as your body, as your family, that we might learn from you, learn what it means to walk with you, to follow you, to give everything back to you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us open hearts and minds to receive the message that you have for us this morning. And Lord, I pray that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So at the very beginning of this series, we took a look at this theme verse that we have from Romans chapter 12, verse 1, in which the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. What we recognized in that opening week is that anything that we give back to God, anything that we give back to Jesus is simply a response to what he's already given to us. That's why he says, in view of God's mercies, what's he talking about? He's talking about the fact that in Jesus, God has given us everything, that we have the promise of eternal life, that we have the promise of his presence with us in all of life's seasons, that we have that promise that he will walk with us and carry us through anything that we could possibly face. And he says, and it's in light of all of that, of all of God's mercy, all of his goodness, all of his love, that we are called to offer everything back to him. It's as though uh, somebody at Goodwill were to roll out the donation bin, right? And as we're trying to unload our car, they say, no, 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 no. We don't just want your stuff. We want all of you. We'd like you to get in the bin. We'd like you to be all in. But as we've unpacked that and we've thought a little bit about what does that look like in our daily lives, we've really focused our attention last week and this week on two areas of our lives. And that's how we use our time and how we spend our money. Last week we looked at how we use our time, how we use our days. Are are we all in in terms of our time? This week we're going to be talking about our money and our stuff. And the reason why we're focusing on those two things is because I would argue that those two things are the litmus test for whether or not you're truly in whether or not you're truly all in when it comes to God and his calling for your life. In fact, whenever you look at Jesus, whenever he talks about what it means to be a disciple and the cost of discipleship, what does he often talk about? He talks about your time and your money. He talks about how we use our days and our hours and, how, and what we do with our physical possessions and our wealth and our stuff. In fact, what I want to argue is that if you really want to know what a person values, don't just listen to what they say. 
Rather, watch how they use their time and where they spend their money. That will very, very quickly reveal what is most important to you, to me, and to the people around us. And I know that talking about our stuff is a very, very challenging topic for many of us. Uh, and I'll be honest, it's, it's hard for me. In fact, I realized as I was prepping for this message that uh, coming into this weekend, I, I actually had a confession to make uh, before this congregation. Um, a couple years ago, I got off of social media. Uh, there are a lot of reasons I got off of social media, but one of the reasons I got off of social media is because I realized that uh, social media was kind of feeding an addiction of mine. And that addiction was to gadgets. I love gadgets and technology. And social media had me dialed in big time. Because anytime I would get on Facebook or I would get on Instagram, what ads would pop up? It was for the latest gadgets. It was for stuff like the latest Bluetooth speaker or the, the Apple Watch or, or some new AirPods or uh, having some sort of smart home device or, or having this tablet that like you can write on and it feels like paper, but then you can download it to your computer and have PDFs and turn it into other documents. It was this amazing stuff. And every time I would get on, there'd be these gadgets. And what would I want to do? Buy the next one. That's what I would want to do. And so I would buy gadgets and, 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 and you know, start to use them in my house and, and start to use them here at the office. Or even if I didn't buy the gadgets, I would be thinking about the gadgets. I'd be thinking about how awesome it would be to have these things in my life. And the reason why is this, this whole thing, all these uh, advertisements were feeding this, this underlying narrative, this desire that I had to be Tony Stark. I really just wanted to be Tony Stark. I wanted to be able to walk into my house and have my house greet me when I came home. And then have my house like cook me dinner, make me coffee. I'd love it if my car like pulled up in front of the house to pick me up and then drove me to work. And I was just like, man, if I have these gadgets, my life will be so much easier. Everything will be integrated. And, and I don't just want to talk to Siri. I want to talk to Jarvis. Like I want my, my, all my gadgets to do my stuff. But here's the thing. What I found is that whenever I bought one of these gadgets, they were pretty good. They're kind of nice. But quite honestly, they never quite measured up to what they guaranteed. They could never quite do it all. It was never quite as seamless or as smooth as I thought it would be. And I realized this is just one of the reasons why I can't be on social media. <laughs> because like they, those algorithms just have me dialed in. And, and so that was one of the reasons that I ended up just getting off and saying, I'm done, done with social media. But here's the thing. My guess is that every single one of us sitting here has something similar in our lives. Maybe it's not gadgets for you. Maybe it's clothing. Maybe it's home furnishings. Maybe it's tools. Maybe it's the latest, like, kitchen appliance. I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe it's going out to the very nicest restaurants or getting involved in some of the, not just a health club, but the best health club. We all have something, some way in which we learn, look to certain things, physical things, possessions, stuff that we spend money on to meet the deepest longings and desires of our heart. But my guess is that we also know that very often the illusion and the promise never quite matches reality. That the clothes fade, right? The styles go out of fashion. And yet, we still continue to fill our lives because we sense deep down that we have this longing for purpose. 
We have this longing in our, in our lives to, to have and to be a part of something that lasts and is eternal. But the problem is, is we keep trying to fill it with the physical stuff around us and it never quite measures up. And the reason why I'm, I'm talking about this and starting off this message this way is because in our passage for this morning, we meet a young man who has the very same problem that we do. We actually find it in Mark chapter 10. If you have your uh, Bibles or you want to grab a pew Bible in front of you, I want to invite you to open up with me to Mark chapter 10, where we read of an encounter that Jesus has with a young man. And it starts this way, Mark 10 verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? See, Jesus encounters a guy who is a spiritual seeker. He's heard about Jesus. He's heard about Jesus performing miracles. He's heard about Jesus' teachings. And he's heard that Jesus might have his finger on what truly lasts, what's truly eternal, what is truly most meaningful in life. And so he comes and seeks Jesus out because he's saying, Jesus, I long to have whatever it is you've found. This eternal life that you speak about, that's what I want. And I got to know, how does someone get that? How does someone receive that? How does someone inherit that? That, that kingdom, that promise that you've been talking about your entire ministry. And this is where we kind of get a little test from Jesus, right? He says, well, first and foremost, let's, let's get clear on who good is. Nobody is good except God. He says, and, and you also know that there's these commandments, right, that you're supposed to do. You know the commandments. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony. Don't defraud. Honor your father and mother. The young guy is just like, yeah, 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 I, I've kept all these since I was a boy. You see, Jesus is saying, so, so what do you think? Do you think uh, finding something eternal is about keeping a bunch of rules? And the young man is basically saying, no, I know it's not that. I've kept those, but I still have this eternal longing. I still want to know where true purpose is found, this relationship with God and with things that last. How do you have that? Because it can't just be the rules, because I know that there's this hunger and this longing in my heart that I just can't seem to satisfy. And so the very next thing Jesus says is, says, well, then one thing you lack, go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. And many of us reading that line have the exact same reaction that the young man has once he hears what Jesus' prescription is. It says that the young man's face fell and he went away because he had great wealth. We listen to those lines from Jesus and we're like, wow, that's so cruel. He wants him to just like give up absolutely everything? Why would he do that? Which is why I want to highlight something. I love the fact that there are four Gospels, not just one. Because if you were to read this story in the Gospel of Matthew or you were to read this story in the Gospel of Luke, they tell this story almost exactly the same except for one detail. We only find it in Mark. Right before Jesus tells the young man this, this is what Mark writes, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Which means that what Jesus is about to say to the young man comes from a place of love and it's for his good. That what Jesus is about to tell this young man is, comes from Jesus' deep heart of love for him and it is for his good. Good. 
And it's then and only then that Jesus says, one thing you lack, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. You see, Jesus understands that as long as this young man is still bound by his stuff, he will never experience the fullness of life that Jesus desires to give him. He realizes that his stuff has become his shackles. His riches are his prison. And he's saying the only way you're going to truly find that eternal thing that you long for is when you learn to give that stuff away to things that truly matter. That's why he says you'll have treasures in heaven. In fact, this isn't something new for Jesus. This is something that he's taught on elsewhere. He uses this exact same phrase in his Sermon on the Mount, where he talks about the ways in which our stuff can actually serve as a prison. Here's what he says in Matthew chapter 6. He says, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Jesus says, Look, all the stuff that you try to feed your life with to find ultimate meaning and comfort and satisfaction, it all fades. It all breaks down. Tragedy can come and sweep it away. People can take it from you. It won't last. But then he goes on and says, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let me say that again. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And quite honestly, this is totally backwards from the way that our world talks about generosity and giving when it comes to our wealth and our possessions, isn't it? Often the ways that we talk about wealth and and generosity is we say, well, when your heart feels like it, when you feel so moved, then give, right? The internal has to come first and, and then do the external, right? Once you feel generous, then you give generously, But the reality that Jesus understands is that as long as we're waiting to feel generous, we never will. We'll never give. He says, actually, what it takes is it's got to be the outside in. It's when you give that it actually then shapes your heart around what you give to. And if we really stop and think about this, we realize the wisdom of what Jesus is saying. I don't know about you, but what I have found is that when I give to something, I am quite literally invested in it. I care a lot more about it. And I actually saw this principle at work when I was working in college ministry. You see, I worked for a ministry called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And, and our whole mission was to reach students on college campuses with the good news of Jesus. And we went to college campuses that specifically were not religious colleges. These were state colleges, state schools, uh, Uh, public institutions, basically. And we went there because we knew that college students were asking some of the best questions that they would ever ask in their entire lives during these four years. They'd be asking about, what's my purpose? Where am I going to find meaning? Who are my people? What does it mean to belong to community? These deep, amazing questions that for whatever reason, when we get out of college, we stop asking. And so we said, we're going to go there because we want to introduce them to Jesus. Now, we knew college students aren't going to be able to, like, give toward the ministry. They're just paying off their student loans. So what we would do is we, we worked like missionaries. We would ask people from our churches, our families, our friends to actually donate toward the mission that we were called to do, to join our support team. 
And as I did that, uh, there were two people, two kinds of people who joined my support team. There were some people who I would come to them and I'd say, hey, can you, can you actually help fund this mission, this ministry to these college campuses? And they would say, you know what? I really can't or, or that, that's not what I feel like I'm called to give to. I promise I will pray for you though and I'll be on your prayer team. And that was good. I loved having people on my prayer team. And so I was like, thank you. Your prayers mean a lot. Um, I'll definitely send you a prayer, you know, my monthly prayer letters and things like that. But then there's the other group of people who said, yeah, that actually, that I would love to give uh, some money to that. I'd love to support you guys as you do that ministry. And they would become donors. And they would actually give and they would get the prayer letter too. And they would pray. Now, here's what I found. And please don't hear me making a judgment call at all. I'm simply making an observation from my like several years of experience doing this. I found that the people who simply joined my prayer team, I would only hear from every once in a while. I'd send out the prayer letters. Maybe I'd get an email back or they'd ask me how the ministry is going. But it was very, very infrequent. That doesn't mean that they weren't praying. I'm sure that they were. But I noticed something different from those who were the donors. That when they got the prayer letters, I would always hear back from them. They'd be like, oh, that's so amazing that these students are starting small groups in their dorms. That's incredible. Oh, that story that you shared about that one student who who came to faith and gave her life to Jesus, that was so inspiring. We are definitely praying for you as you guys are inviting freshmen to the new student retreat. And then they would start to ask other stuff like, so how else can I help? Can I show up and volunteer? Is there anything anything else you guys need in order to make the ministry happen on campus? And here's the crazy thing. I haven't been doing this for years, but I will still get phone calls and emails from some of my donors saying, hey, I know that this young man or this young woman is going off to college uh, from my church. Do you know if there's an intervarsity chapter at their school that they can plug into so that they can grow in their walk with Jesus and so that they know what it means to be like an ambassador for Christ on their campus? What was happening in these moments with these relationships? What was happening was what Jesus was talking about. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. That when they actually started giving to the mission, it shaped their heart and their lives around that mission to the point where they themselves were sold out and asking, what can I do to help this mission go forward? And Jesus says, that's what I'm talking about when it comes to your, to your possessions and to your treasures. He looks at this young man and he says, I want you to invest in stuff that's going to last. Your stuff is your prison. But if you give it away for the sake of my kingdom, for the mission that I'm calling you to, you will finally experience what you've always been longing for. He says, go sell everything you have and give to the poor. Why does he say that? Because that's who his ministry is too. He's been going to the least and to the lost and the outcast. He says, give away to them so that they might experience the goodness of the kingdom of God. And he says, and then when you're done with all your stuff, then I want you, I want you to come and follow me. And you'll be free. I want your treasures to be all about something that's going to grow and flourish and last. I want you to see what happens when you give me what you have and watch me make an eternal difference with it. And then you'll experience what you've always been longing for. And the heartache you can almost hear in Jesus' voice as the young man walks away. He says how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And so heartbroken is he, he repeats it. He says, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And this totally freaks out Jesus' disciples, doesn't it? They say, well, then hang on a second. Who can possibly be saved? 
Because they had been taught that people who are blessed by God are materially blessed. In their time, if you were materially wealthy, it meant that God must love you. And Jesus is saying exactly the opposite. They say, how can, if that's true, how can anybody be saved? And Jesus, I love what Jesus says. He says, he says, on your own, you can't do it. Can't be done. With man, this is impossible. But not with God. All things are possible with God. Which leads to the question that I think everybody asks when they hear Jesus say this. It's actually the question that's underneath Peter's response. Peter says, well, we've left everything to follow you. What's the real question there? We left everything to follow you, Jesus. Are you really going to be able to take care of us? Can you really do the impossible? If I'm all in, if I give you everything that I have, will you be able to provide for me? Will you be able to provide for my family? Will you be able to provide for our needs tomorrow? Can I trust you with everything that I have? And which is why I love what Jesus says next. He says, truly I tell you. By the way, anytime Jesus says, truly I tell you, he's saying this is a certain truth that you can take to the bank. He says, truly I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and for the good news, the gospel, will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? He's saying, I know it won't be easy. I know it will be hard. I hope you caught that in what he said. There will also be persecutions. He's saying, yeah, I know. Following me is not comfortable. It will take you out of your comfort zone. It will require absolutely everything to the very end. But it's all wrapped up in an amazing promise. He says, but if you do it, You're going to experience a kind of community, a kind of relationships, and a kind of purpose that you can't find anywhere else. Because whoever follows me is going to receive just as much brothers, sisters, mothers, children, homes, and fields. What's he talking about? He says, because now you're going to be a part of a new family where we open our homes to each other. You're going to be a part of a much bigger family that does life together, that supports one another, that carries each other through every single season of life. He's talking about the church. He's talking about all of us together. He's saying, you don't do this alone. You're not alone. I'll provide for you, and I'll do it through my people. Because the moment you learn to be generous for the sake of the mission, it just overflows and touches so many other lives. That's his promise. That's his commitment. That's what it means for us all to be in. (laughs) To be all in. That is his commitment to you. It's one thing to say that. The question is, do we know that Jesus can deliver? He makes that promise. Can he keep it? Which is why I love what we confessed earlier during our confession and absolution. We heard it together from Romans 5.8. How do we know that God loves us? that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. A little bit later on in that very same letter, Paul says the following. He says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, 
neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, the way that we know that Jesus will provide for any need that we could possibly have is because of what we've already seen him do. Consider this. Jesus dwelt in glory on the highest of thrones. He was the king of kings from eternity to eternity. He dwelt in heaven alongside his heavenly father. He had every comfort you could imagine, every satisfaction that you could enjoy, any peace that you could possibly seek out and find. It was his. And yet when he looked into our world and saw us clinging to our tiny piles of stuff, trapped in these prisons of our own making, he gave up everything. He laid down his crown He stepped off of his throne. He walked out of the treasures and glories of heaven and into our world to rescue us. And he was willing to go so far that he was willing to go to a cross and die for us, giving up his very life that we might live. And more than that, he rose again from the dead. And he says, and now you can know for certain that not even death can separate you from my love. There is nothing that you will face that I will not walk with you through. There is no challenge that I cannot provide for your needs. And even when your day comes and you close your eyes in death, it is but a moment on the canvas of eternity because one day your tombs will open and you will walk out again into my light. He gave up everything that we might live. And if that's the kind of God that we serve, we can trust him with everything that we have. Then when he says it's better to give to the mission and to follow me with all that you have, we know that he means it, that he knows what he's talking about. We know that we can be all in for him and for the mission because he was all in for us and so we don't hold anything back. We give it back to his good and gracious hands so that more people might experience the joy and the peace and the fullness of knowing the God who made them, the God who loves them, the God who died for them, and the God who rose again to welcome them once more into his presence. That's our calling. That's what it means to be all in. That's what it looks like to trust him with everything. That's why we live out our mission together of helping people look, live, and love more like Jesus. Because the moment you hear his call, you begin to see just how all in he is for you. In a few moments, we're going to have an opportunity to reflect on what does it mean to give everything back to him. But here now, I want to begin that reflection by wrapping up this series and and praying together. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we give you thanks that when you saw our need, you gave everything up. You poured out all that you had in order to make us your own. And your promise is, is that wherever you call us to go, you will go with us. That you will provide for every need. You will be with us in every season. 
And that even in the midst of life's darkest valleys, we can have hope and assurance because you have risen again. And that promise is now ours. Help us not to cling to our little piles of stuff anymore. Help us to let them go because we know with us it's impossible, but with you all things are possible. Help us to become the kind of generous people who are all in for the sake of you and for your mission, that we might see your kingdom break in here and now. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.